You're listening to Alexis's story in an interview with Liz Anderson, certified child life specialist in this episode of the Child Life On Call podcast. Hello, my friends. As always, I am so glad you are joining us for today's episode. We will be hearing from two incredible women today. First, we'll be hearing from Alexis, whose son went through a fairly common surgery, ear tubes, and what their experience was like. However, as child life specialists and parents, we know that despite how common or routine a surgery may be, those words don't begin to cover all the emotions and feelings that come along with these quote-unquote common surgeries. Also, as a part of celebrating Child Life Month, after Alexis's story, we'll hear from Liz Anderson, a certified child life specialist who has spent a bulk of her career working with children and families going through surgery. If you are a parent, you will definitely want to stay tuned so you can hear great advice and suggestions for how to prepare your kids for surgery and how to help support them. If you are listening to this as an aspiring child life specialist or a current CCLS, Liz shares a lot of useful information about her experiences and also how she created a program to help children with autism going through surgery. So let's just jump right in, get started with Alexis. She'll start off by introducing herself and then we will get right into her family's journey of chronic ear and eye infections that led them to surgery. Well, my name is Alexis and I am a doula and a therapist and a mom. I have two kiddos three and five. Um, Rowan is our youngest and Rory is our oldest, the five-year-old. And he's who I'll be talking about today. Well, tell us about the time um, leading up to finding out that there was an issue with Rory and what was going on with him. Um, Well, he had chronic ear infections and illness pretty much his whole first year. So um, he he was a daycare baby. So I only had eight weeks of maternity leave and he went to daycare when he was itty bitty. And I was home a lot with a sick kid (laughs) because of daycare germs. Um, and, uh, our pediatrician at the time just kind of kept saying like, this can be common, um, with daycare kiddos. And we would, she just kind of kept saying like, we'll talk about it later on. Um, but you don't really need to worry about anything right now, but it just kept happening. Like literally every month he would have a diagnosed ear infection, sometimes a double ear infection. And so finally around, um, nine or 10 months, he was nine or 10 months old. Uh, she was like, she started to talk to us about tubes um, and just basically said, this is an option. Like some kiddos, uh, the tube doesn't develop correctly to drain. And so this is a solution to help him be healthy. Um, so we were like, sign us up. We're tired of him being sick. (laughs) In addition to Rory's chronic ear infections, Alexis and her husband had also noticed that their brand new baby had chronic and unrelenting eye drainage. They'd been dealing with it since the day he was born. So that happened like pretty much immediately. Like he would constantly have gunk coming out of his eye and kind of the same thing. Um, And he actually would have eye infections. Like he had frequent eye infections. Like it would get infected and I'd have to put drops in his eyes. Um, But same thing. I I think our doctor was kind of conservative 
with jumping to any sort of like intense intervention. <laughs> so uh, she actually recommended that I just put breast milk in his eye, which I would do and it would help some. Um, but like I said, sometimes that wasn't enough and he needed drops cause it would get infected, but it was a constant issue and just green gunk coming out of his eye all the time. So around that same time when we had the discussion about tubes, uh, she also mentioned how, again, same thing, like sometimes kiddos, whatever tube is connected there, like it actually is all connected. Like that was snot coming out of his eye. It was snot coming out of his ears like it was all the same issue and that tube was also not formed correctly I don't I don't remember the medical uh, terminology of what the actual diagnosis was <laughs> but whatever the case um, the solution was a probe into his eye to like clear the tube um, and she basically said that it's ter- like she warned us it's terrible they strap his head down he's awake Um, so I don't like to recommend it until the very last minute. So she wanted us to wait even longer for that until he had reached a year. And if it didn't resolve on its own at a year, she was going to refer us to a, um, what's an eye doctor called? An ophthalmologist. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So basically, (laughs) so basically like in addition to having a newborn for the first time, you're dealing with all of the drainage from all of the places, which must've been really fun. Yeah, bodily fluids, good times. Good times. Mm-hmm. Mom life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how how did you and your husband feel once she started to talk to you about tubes and kind of said, okay, like, here's a plan. You've been dealing this for a year. How did, did you guys like having a plan or having a diagnosis? Are you Were, were you hesitant about it? I mean, I what, mostly I was just like, thank God finally a solution. I'm like, I was having to take unpaid days off. It was kind of getting ridiculous. So I was ready for a solution, but of course I was also still nervous, um, for the tubes at least, because I knew he would go under anesthesia and that was nerve wracking. Um, and then just her description of the probe in his eyeball was frankly terrifying. So, um, I did have some anxiety around it, but I also, knew that this probably would give us all some relief. So I was open to it. Definitely. So do you want to walk us through what that procedure was like? Or did they end up doing the ear tubes and the eye drainage at the same time? Or how did that work? They didn't. And I do regret that. Like if I could go back, I would have advocated for that to happen at the same time because then he could have been under anesthesia for the eye probe. Um, but we did tubes first, which were fine. Um, he did great and recovered just wonderfully. Um, he would like him coming out of anesthesia was very trippy. Uh, (laughs) Well, can, can you talk to us about what that was like? It was like, he just was like a mad animal and like, didn't know where he was or even who we were. And like, it was complete, like even the tech when he was handing them to me, he was like, he's going to be like dead weight, like prepare yourself. So literally I was like, and he's a big, he was a big kid at the time. Um, well, he's a big kid now. I don't remember how much he weighed right now. He's like 50 something pounds. So at the time he was probably big for a one-year-old, however that, however many pounds that is. And it was definitely dead weight. And 
even having the prompt of the warning of this is what it's going to feel like. I was still like, Oh my God, this child in my arms. Um, and he was kind of flailing and he would literally, it was like it had, he had rabies or something. It was kind of bizarre, but it, it ended very quickly. Like he eventually calmed down and we just kind of snuggled. And then he was like, Oh, you're my mom. Cool. Um, and he was happy again. So it was fine, but it was definitely trippy at first. <laughs> that's that's crazy. I think that happens a lot to parents. And no matter how you prepare them until you experience it for the first time, it's hard to <laughs> explain how that emergence delirium works when they wake up. Yeah, I don't know if I explained it um, in a good way, but that is the best way I could describe it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So he had the tubes, and then did you see some change after that happened as far as, I guess, less air infections or eye drainage or what happened after that? Oh, yes. Well, the eye drainage was still there. So she did end up, like, basically a month later, we got the the probe for his eye. Um, And then once that was done and the tubes were done, like, literally, he was a different human, and he was not... Like, he didn't have an ear infection for probably a whole nother year. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I mean, he certainly had a cold in, sure. in his next year of life, but it never turned into an ear infection, which was good. And then can you walk us through what that eye drainage procedure was like and what happened at, at that time? That was horrific and traumatizing. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> um. No, it's fine. I want, like, anyone that I ever, like, in a mom group, if people post about this, like, I'm, I always private message them because I don't want to be, like, the crazy person on the Facebook wall. Right. But I'm also, like, I'm always just, like, look, just so you know, this will happen to me. So maybe you should ask these questions so it doesn't happen to you. Um, but basically, the doctor's warning, our pediatrician's warnings about how the procedure goes were accurate. And the ophthalmologist, is that correct? Yes, you got it. (laughs) Okay. She pretty much said the same thing. And they essentially strap him to a board and he's completely awake. And they just stick a probe into his whatever that's called. um, And it clears out all the gunk. Um, And so... This doctor, though, said she was worried since he was a larger, he was large for his age. um, She was worried that he could break through the restraints. Um, So she initially asked if my husband would be willing to be in the room and like help hold him down. (laughs) And we were like, "Uh, we don't want to be anywhere near our child, like strapped to a board with a needle going into his eye. Um, because he's going to hate us and we don't want to be associated with that memory. Um, we want to be the ones that love on him when it's over. (laughs) So basically we, that conversation happened and they like tried to find a nurse or another tech that could come in the room and help. And for whatever reason, there weren't enough strong people to hold a one-year-old down. I don't know. It was very insane and weird. And I felt like a lot of pressure in the moment that like this has to happen now. Um, and so I just, it's hard to think in that moment and like say something different. Cause it's just high pressure, you know? Um, sure. 
And so I was just like, okay, whatever. So my husband agreed and he was like in the room and had to hold. And sure enough, he broke through the restraints and my husband had to hold him down while this needle goes into his eye. It is super fast and was literally over in all of five seconds, but that's traumatizing. (laughs) That's super traumatizing. And so I guess as soon as it was done, I I hope your husband got to pick him up and you got to join. Yes. No, I was standing right outside the room and I like ran in and, you know, we were having a family snuggle. Um, (laughs) I bet. But, and it was fine. Our, he's, our son is fine and I don't think he's traumatized he hasn't talked about the eye probe, so that's good. That's good. <laughs> do you have any Do you have any tips or tricks for parents who have to give eye drops to kids for a year or an infant? Did you, I guess, if you were doing that constantly, especially with a wiggle worm that's a baby, how did you guys do it? Was it like a team effort, or did you get a rhythm down? Yeah, it kind of depended on his mood. Um, he, our, our son is like totally opposite from our daughter and he's super chill for the most part. Uh, so usually if I distracted him with a toy or my boob, um, <laughs> he was good and we could get an eye drop in or an ear drop in and it like wasn't an issue. Um, if in any situation that he wasn't like, yeah, my husband would come and he would help me out. But it, we generally didn't have a lot of problems around that cause he was just such a chill kid. Are are there any misconceptions that um, people may have of someone who has these kind of chronic eye or ear infections? I definitely like felt, especially at work, like since I missed so much work uh, and a lot of my coworkers at the time did not have children. So I got a lot of eye rolls and I think that they didn't quite understand my life and what was going on. And they almost like didn't believe you know, like, how can your kid be this sick all the time? So that was kind of hard to navigate. But I don't know, I got through it. (laughs) So what is helping you and Rory and your family cope after these chronic ear and eye infections? Well, he definitely he's had some speech issues. Um, Like he was a, a late speaker, like he didn't start talking until after he turned two. Um, so he was kind of slow to start and we were a little bit concerned then. And then once he did start talking, he's had some issues with, um, uh, with articulation and just not saying certain sounds correctly. And so, uh, we've utilized speech therapy and that's been awesome. And he's completely like that was resolved very quickly with, um, speech therapy support. Uh, And he's doing great now. So uh, just, you know, that's certainly something that I think was very like they there was even I also remember actually our pediatrician did a hearing test because she wondered if his hearing was related to the speech issues. But that ended up being fine. But it definitely kind of had an effect on him later on, even though the tubes cleared everything up. um, We had longer term effects with his speech. But with therapy, he's been great. Speech therapy is just incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and speech language pathologists are like angels. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and so I guess what would you tell a parent um, who may be going through a similar situation that you all went through? Um, so like I said, our pediatrician, I think she was a bit conservative um, in her treatment methods, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like I, I didn't really, 
I was thankful that she didn't always just jump to antibiotics um, and that, you know, she wanted to be thoughtful in you know, the recommendations that she was giving for our child. But at the same time, uh, it was a year of he was sick every single month. And we ended up having to get the tubes. We ended up having to get the eye probe. And if I could go back in time, like I definitely would have done a little bit more research about our alternative treatments and different things that we could have been trying within that period. Um, because I don't know, I didn't try anything else. I just listened to my doctor and did what she said. And I never really, um, did my own research to see what other options there were. And so if I could go back, I definitely would have done that instead of just suffering for a whole year. Alexis, who you can follow along with through her private practice, which is birth360.net, or on her blog, Mrs. Mombi, leaves parents with some great advice. I mean, I think just the normal parent advice of give yourself grace. <laughs> you know, it's it's overwhelming when you have a sick kid. Um, it's overwhelming when you're having to miss work. Um, so just, you know, it's extra layers of stress onto already normal parenting. Um, so just giving yourself grace and letting yourself feel what you need to feel um, and providing yourself self-care and space to take care of your own needs. Thank you so much to Alexis for sharing Rory's experience with us. Next up on the episode, we have Liz Anderson. My name is Liz Anderson. Uh, I live in Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. Um, I became a certified child life specialist in 2009. Um, for a year after that, I worked as a child life fellow at Inova Fairfax in Virginia. And ever since then, I have been at Children's National Health System in Washington, D.C., both on the, the hematology oncology floor and also in the surgery center. Uh, and just about a month ago, I made another career switch or, not, or a job switch over to um, a Kaiser Permanente outpatient clinic that sees several pediatric specialties. Okay, great. And um, where did you go to school? I went to school at East Carolina University. I, um, I found out about child life when I was 16. Uh, I fell in love with it, and I was able to kind of research schools that had an actual child life program. Um, East Carolina was one of those, so I was able to visit um, talk to the director of the program, and I just knew that it was right for me. Um, so I was there for four years, and I left with a, a bachelor's of science in child life. Okay, very cool. Um, so I think you know this episode features uh, parents of children that have gone through a surgery, and I know you worked in the surgery program at Children's National Medical Center. Can you tell us about that and what your biggest priorities were when you were thinking about supporting patients and families going through surgery? Uh, sure. So the surgery center at Children's National takes care of both inpatients and outpatients. Um, we saw a wide variety of surgeries um, anything from ear tubes, tonsillectomies, adenoidectomies, all the way up to spinal fusions, um, brain tumor surgeries, um, all sorts of things. Uh, on average, we they did about um, 60 to 80 surgeries a day. And for child life services, it was myself and another child life specialist were there uh, Monday through Friday covering the hours of um, about 6.30 a.m. to uh, around 4 p.m. So we were able to catch a lot of people. 
Um, when I started working in the surgery center there, some of the things that I thought about and what I wanted my biggest priorities to be were um, knowing that it was a very fast-paced environment. I wanted to be able to quickly assess to determine what services were needed. And then in addition to a quick assessment, be able to provide concise and appropriate education um, for all aspects of the surgery process. Um, so I knew that I was going to be working with patients who started in the waiting room or who came through the emergency room or who came from upstairs in the hospital um, to um, kids who'd never had surgery or who'd had 20 surgeries. Um, so I knew I was going to have a wide range and I wanted to be able to provide the best and the most appropriate services um, as quickly as possible. Uh, one of my other biggest priorities was learning how to work with a multidisciplinary team. Um, I knew that in such a, a fast um, environment with so many different people uh, meeting these patients and these families that we, there needed to be a team effort and we needed to kind of all work together. And then um, one of my biggest goals kind of later on at my, in my time at the surgery center was to provide additional support for children with autism or other special needs. Oh, that's really cool. How did you uh, end up getting that program off the ground? Um, so I was noticing that, you know, children would come in with autism, diagnosis of autism, and they would, you know, not really know what was happening or the families were, didn't really know what to expect. Um, and they were having really difficult experiences going through surgery. Um, some so difficult that they actually had to cancel surgery um, because it couldn't be done safely uh, or getting them off to sleep couldn't be done safely. So myself and the other child life specialists um, sort of assessed our environment and we came up with a program to help uh, provide better supports to these children and their families. Um, the biggest part of the program was calling families ahead of time um, and talking to them about the surgery process. So explaining to them what happens start to finish, answering any questions, providing them with age-appropriate words to use to prepare their, their child, um, encouraging them to bring comfort items or favorite activities or anything that would help keep their child comfortable on the day of surgery. And then um, after we would have this conversation with the families, the caregivers and parents, we would send all that information off to every part of the team taking care of the child so that on the day of surgery, um, everybody would sort of know what worked and what doesn't work, what to say, um, what not to say. Um, and it was really easy to modify the experience for these patients um, to make it better for them. And it was really, it's been really successful. Um, of course, I'm not there any longer, but as far as I know, it's still very successful. Um, parents have seemed really pleased. They feel much more prepared. Um, these patients um, are, you know, doing much better. Um, and it's just the team has even said it's been really helpful to have all that information ahead of time. Yeah, that's, that's so important because um, patients or children who have a diagnosis of autism tend to have those sensory needs and their parents know them best. So really, they're typically our insight into how to best support their child so they can give us the clues we need. And really, it's just about us asking the questions to, to figure out how to help them navigate it. Absolutely. And that is the one thing that we learned from the program. I mean, but we learned lots of things. But the number one thing that we learned was those parents are the experts. They know what works for their children. And it's up to us to learn from them. Um, you know, and it, it has to be a collaboration because those parents don't necessarily know what to expect as far as the surgery process goes, but they know what works for their children and for what does and what doesn't. Um, so we, we constantly would, um, you know, tell the team and even validate to the parents, like, you're the experts, we want to learn from you. I love that. I like that a lot. So 
Um, I guess in addition to that program, um, you worked with kids and families going through all different types of surgery and all different types of kids and families. What are a few small things you observed that parents did on surgery day that had a positive effect on their child? The biggest thing is preparing the child ahead of time. Um, a lot of parents don't know what to say to their child and as far as coming for a surgery, but there's so many resources. Even just a quick Google search of how do I talk to my child about surgery will give you some results. So that was number one, was parents who were able to help prepare their children for coming to the hospital and for what going through surgery was going to be like. Um uh, bringing a comfort item with them on the day of surgery, a special stuffed animal or a blanket, or even letting them get dressed in special pajamas the morning of, that's really helpful. Um, parents that ask questions of the team, definitely important. You want to be sure that you understand so that you can help your child understand. But it's also really important that as the parent that you trust your child's medical team. Um, if you trust the doctors and the nurses and the techs and everybody taking care of your child, your child is going to pick up on that. Uh, and they're going to know that if mom and dad, you know, if they're calm and comfortable and they're okay with me, you know, going to the operating room with these people, then it's okay. I, I trust them. Um, remaining calm is huge. Um, you have to remain calm. You have to keep your own emotions in check when you're helping your child get ready for surgery because they're going to pick up on if you're really anxious or really nervous. You know, obviously it's a scary thing to send your child to surgery, but you have to be strong for your child. Um, and then, you know, if you need some time to break down, that's great, but maybe do it after they've gone to the OR. Um, another big one, which seems so simple is play with your child on the day of surgery, um, engage with them, help them to kind of keep their life a little bit normal while they're in an unfamiliar space. Use the playroom if there is one, um, play with them if, you know, with whatever that they brought, there might be time where you have to wait before surgery. Um, and there's definitely going to be time, you know, after surgery when they're recovering, just engage with them, be present, play, um, kind of pick up on how they're feeling and, and be right there with them. Oh, I really like that advice for sure, because if kids are able to play, their stress level can go down. Um, and then you'll kind of notice actually your stress level will go down too. I notice with my own son, like if I'm upset about something, if I get on the ground and play with him, it really helps, <laughs> helps me too, as much as it does. Yeah. Him. Yeah. It puts everything in a different perspective. Exactly. Um, what did you notice? Uh, what are the types of things that kids respond best to when they seem to be stressed? I guess we kind of just went, went over that, but do you have any other ideas? Um, well, every child, obviously every child is different and every age group is different. So, you know, what's going to help a toddler is going to be totally different than what helps a schoolager. Um, but just in thinking about kind of some general things, um, for children that are old enough to understand what's happening, allowing them time to talk about what's happening, um, to talk about what, you know, going through surgery is going to be like and giving them time to ask questions, um, not only at home, you know, with your family, but at the hospital too. Uh, being able to talk to the team um, and let the child themselves ask their questions um, and just kind of providing them comfort and validation. Don't tell them not to worry. Don't tell them not to be scared. Don't tell them to be, you know, um, a big kid and not cry. It's okay. Being worried, being scared, crying. Those are all very normal reactions that children have to medical experiences. 
So validate that those feelings are okay with them, but help them find a way to, you know, feel more comfortable. Maybe that's play or distraction. Maybe it's just kind of giving a hug, you know, whatever it is, um, let them know that their feelings are okay, but um, support them as well. Um, And then the biggest thing is just kind of just listening. As a child life specialist, I found that a lot of times children just wanted somebody to listen to them about their fears or their worries or if they were stressed. And a lot of times just being a calm, listening presence was really helpful, no matter the age. Oh, I I totally agree. Um, And I even like the idea of, you know, if your child is old enough to ask questions or have concerns about a surgery and and tell you about them, having like that family meeting ahead of time um, where you involve, you know, whoever the parents are, the caregivers, or who's ever going to be supporting them during the surgery and even siblings so that siblings can be involved in it too. Experiences affect the entire family, uh, and it's important to yeah, it's important to remember to include everyone in that. Can you give a few tips about how to prepare your child for surgery? I guess what are good words to use and what exactly to say? Sure. So this is I have a little bit of a lengthy answer to this. Um, so first things first, you as the parent make sure that you are knowledgeable and you are prepared. Um, if you don't understand fully what your child is about to go through, you're not going to be able to help your child understand it the best way. So make sure that you understand what's coming up. Um, use appropriate language based on age, developmental level. Um, you know, some examples of that rather than saying that they're going to cut you open. Maybe say that they are going to make a small opening. Um, when talking about anesthesia, explain that it's a special sleeping medicine. It's different than sleeping at home and try to avoid saying things like put to sleep. A lot of children associate that term with sick animals. We don't want them to think. You want them to understand that it's a safe, a normal type of sleeping medicine. They're not going to feel or remember anything from when the doctor helps their body. Um, and when they wake up, it'll be all finished. Um, Find out ahead of time if your child is going to be able to fall asleep breathing through a mask or if they need an IV first. If they need an IV first, that's one more stressful thing for them to have to um, do. And it does involve, you know, a shot. So um, that's one thing to try to find out. Um, There's all types of wonderful resources, uh, books you can buy to help prepare your child for going to surgery, Um, you know, resources online, kidshealth.com has really good information about different types of procedures. Um, Find out if the hospital has both a child life program and if they have offer a pre-surgical tour. Uh, Those are two really great things to connect with. Um, Bringing them in ahead of time for a tour of the surgery center can be super helpful, but also reaching out to the child life specialist at that facility um, for some additional support. And um, they may even offer in-person support for for surgery. Um, That's something that can be really, really helpful in, in helping to prepare your child. Can you give a few tips about how to support your child after surgery in the recovery room and at home or any kind of the follow-up stuff? Sure. So uh, one thing to know is that most children wake up from anesthesia really unhappy. Um, They might be disoriented, upset, kind of fussy. This is a totally normal reaction to anesthesia. It does not mean that anything is wrong with your child. And as they sort of wake up more and the medication gets out of their system more, we'll be able to better assess if they're having pain or discomfort, if something's actually wrong. Um, As soon as you're allowed to, hold and comfort your child as they're waking up. Like I said, they might be upset, but just having you there being the one to hold and talk to and comfort them is really helpful. Um, 
talk with your child's recovery room nurse if you're worried at all about what's, what is happening in the recovery period. Um, if they drink from a special cup or a bottle, bring it with them um, in case they can use it after surgery. It's just one more thing that's familiar for them. One thing to note, however, is that um, typically after a tonsillectomy, you're, um, you're not allowed to use a straw. So if your child's special cup has a straw, you might want to pick a different cup. Um, another thing is, you know, your child might be really upset about waking up with the IV and being connected to monitors. Reassure your child that those are helping to keep them safe and that'll be taken off when the nurse says it's okay. Uh, all of those monitors, that IV, those are really important things to have um, for as your child is waking up. Uh, and the nurse will tell you that. They will take things off as they can, but it's not typically things that they can take off early. Um, for when it's time to go home, be prepared with a lot of quiet, low-energy activities to keep them entertained. Um, you know, have a lot of popsicles and soft foods stocked at home, especially if they are having a tonsillectomy. Um, you know, try to stay on top of the, your their pain really pay attention to the instructions you're given before discharge about how to manage their pain. Don't wait for your child to say, I have pain, really keep on top of that um, and kind of cycle those medications as instructed. That's really going to help your child feel more comfortable. That's all such good advice. Um, thank you so much. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add? I think the only other thing I would add is that know that as a parent or a caregiver, when your child has a surgery, it can be scary and that's okay. Um, I've had a lot of parents say to me, oh, I know it's just a minor surgery. I shouldn't be this upset, but that's your child. That's your baby. Um, and no matter their age or how many times they've done it before, it is a really difficult experience. And so let yourself, you know, feel worried, but also know that um, you're working, you've got experts taking care of your child and that there's a wealth of knowledge out there for you um, to be prepared uh, and that you're doing the best thing you can for your child um, as a parent. I personally just feel like I could listen to Liz talk about child life and this profession for hours on end. She's so smart and so knowledgeable and I'm so grateful that she was able to be a part of this podcast episode. Well, that about wraps things up for this podcast, unless, of course, you haven't already written a review on iTunes, in which case you have homework. That's to go over to iTunes, write a review, and what it does is it allows for more parents and listeners to find out that we even exist um, so they can join our community. Thank you again for all the support, and happy Child Life Month.